God's people are keeping an eye on events going on, not only here in this country, but around the world. Especially our our eyes are uh, attuned to what's going on in uh, Eastern Europe at this time. And as uh, most of you are aware, I've been keeping an eye on these things with the Russia and Ukraine war, the recent Russian uh, missiles that have been targeted or that have have targeted certain uh, energy sites or sites where they, uh, for for power to to hopefully disrupt the the power grid of Ukraine and, and Put Ukraine in a in a weakened position. So you know all all of that's that's been going on this week, and then then we had that that one event that some thought is this going to trigger World War III. Most of you are aware of that situation where a a missile landed on Polish territory, and and in doing so, uh, that I, I believe it killed two individuals. So at first. That folks were wondering, is this a Russian missile that was misdirected, that was fired, you know, here went into a NATO country, a NATO ally in, in hitting Poland and what that activates with the North, Atle- North Atlantic Treaty Organization, I think is the O, but uh, NATO, uh, all those that are combined uh, to, to be a part of NATO and, and defend because that had happened, you know, was it Russia or was it, was it a situation where uh, Ukraine is, is firing anti-aircraft, uh, uh, anti-aircraft barrage, uh, anti-aircraft, anti-missile barrage to hit that and then, then knock that over? Was it actually a, a Ukrainian uh, missile that, that landed there? And I, I, I don't know that we'll ever fully get to the bottom of it or, you know, in terms of the story that comes out. But there was concern that if it was, in fact, a, a Russian missile that landed, what, what would that be? Would that be the Archduke Ferdinand uh, situation, the, the, uh, the shot that was heard around the world that initiates all of this, that initiates everything lining up uh, very quickly to where NATO, that was formed in, in part to help uh, offset all that was was going on with uh, with the USSR and, and, and communist communism and all, all that after uh, you know in the course when that was set up and, and here we've got all these countries that are set to defend that now what will happen it seems to have de-escalated but with that those of us who are who are keeping an eye on prophecy. Of course, we look at these kinds of things, and, and of course, U.S. is a part of NATO, and U.S. has been a, a strong, essential component uh, to NATO, and, and the U.S. has been supplying uh, aircraft as well as uh, other uh, defense kinds of things for, for the Ukrainian people. What's going to happen? Uh, re- regardless of all of that, EU, the EU, the uh, European Union is seeing more and more their need to be strong. They've got to militarize. They see that. They they see that if if America is weakened, if America begins to pull back at all, uh, who's who's going to be there to help them uh, against uh, this Russian aggression that they're seeing happening? Uh, just to to quote from a couple of articles. One, uh, one is uh, from Roots Shiva 7, I think I said that correctly, uh, here on November 16th, 
With the war in Ukraine at a critical stage, tensions in the countries under the influence of the former Soviet Union could not be getting much higher. With the Ukrainian armed forces putting pressure on Putin's generals, the tension can be felt across NATO's eastern flank. NATO has been bolstering all of its allied nations' local units. Recent deployment around, the Europe, around Europe show Italians, Canadians, Spanish, and U.S. forces all rotating around various countries that share a border with Russia and Ukraine. These deployments have showcased some of the United States military's most advanced and capable units. If, if several years ago it was very rare to see uh, what is known as fifth generation aircraft deployed to any bases in Europe, the past year has seen F-35s in Romania and Poland and F-22s across Poland and Norway. Deploying F-22s to Poland is a significant show of force on the U.S.'s part. These aircraft are considered by most experts to be the best, the world's best fighter jets. Placing them in Poland is meant to showcase the U.S. and NATO's commitment to defending allied nations from the possibility of a Russian invasion. And this week, Biden, uh, while in Indonesia, uh, in the aftermath of this situation that, that occurred in Poland, uh, convened an emergency meeting. This is from Newsmax.com. He, he convened an emergency meeting uh, of the Group of Seven and NATO leaders in Indonesia uh, Wednesday for consultations after NATO ally Poland said a Russian-made missile killed two people on the eastern part of its country near the Ukraine border. You know, of course, that, those were some of the initial comments coming out, and again, since that time, that, that, to my knowledge, has changed in what they're saying. But Biden, who was awakened overnight by staff with, with the news of the missile explosion while in Indonesia for the Group of 20 summit, called Polish uh, President uh, Duda uh, early Wednesday to express his deep condolences for the loss of life. He promised on Twitter uh, full U.S. support for and assistance with Poland's investigation and reaffirmed the United States' ironclad commitment to NATO. Meeting at a large round table in a ballroom in his hotel, the U.S. president hosted the leaders of the G7, Canada, France, Germany, Italy, Japan, the United Kingdom, and, and European Union, along with the President of the European Council and the Prime Ministers of NATO allies in Spain and Netherlands. And this is just uh, recently what we're dealing with. And, and you know, again, as, as we thought, as we wonder, you know, when, when is God going to, as we've said many times, when is God going to finally let, let, that, let that band go, snap that rubber band that's stretching and begin to have these, these series of events happen that lead to what we see occurring in, in many of the prophecies of the Bible. So God's people are watching. We're watching these things happening. We're seeing these things happening. And, and as a result, uh, several concepts uh, have been rattling around in my head. Uh, several concepts are in play regarding some of these in-time kinds of thoughts. And I don't know what all is rattling around inside your head about all of these things, but I'll, I'll just talk about a couple of them here as we begin to introduce the topic, the topic which will be a two-parter, by the way, to be continued on December 10th. Okay, with that said, one topic that is rattling around in my head is Philippians 4. The whole thing of, we won't turn there, but the whole 
passage where Paul is saying, with everything that we see going on around us, uh, to let our requests be made known to God, and and then the and, and to do so in thankfulness, and then the peace of God, uh, the peace of God will will comfort us uh, through the challenges that we face. I, I think about that, and I and I I think about peace peace of mind that we need to have as we go through all that we're seeing. Uh, would you say that you have peace of mind in, in what you see going around? Can we continue to have peace of mind as we, as we deal with this, the, the this challenges and stresses of life? But to have, have the peace of God, the peace of God meaning the peace of God by God's standards, not, not what I would consider my own peace. You know, I think you think about Paul, who, the one who wrote that, uh, and has been canonized for us. It's, it's God's words, but Paul who wrote this, and he had anything but peace in his life. But he, he developed and, and thrived on the peace of God, God's peace that was in him. I've got to continue to maintain and, and strive to enhance that peace of God in my own life as in time kinds of things are occurring around me. The peace of God, not mine, not my peace, not the kind of peace that I would, I guess, human nature naturally want to, oh, this, if this is right, if this is right, ah, okay, then I can, then I can be at peace. I don't, I don't, I've got to tell myself I don't want that. I want the peace of God. The, the kind of peace that comes from the understanding of, of what to what we've been called and to what we've been given and to what our future uh, is ahead of us. That's one thing that's been rattling around in, in my mind. Uh, the second area that's been rattling around in terms of the church is, is the stresses and the challenges that God's people are facing right now one of which lies in the realm of interpersonal areas within the fellowship, within, within our interaction with one another. As, as we go through life and we see the things that are, that are going on and the challenges that we face as God's people to really dwell with one another in harmony. How, how to bear with one another in love as we deal with, with one another and, and some of the challenges that we see. When to correct, you know, when, when, to, when to exhort, when to encourage, when to correct with encouragement, how to correct, how to, how to be our, our brother's keeper. Mr. Gutierrez talked a little bit about that today, but how to, how to really be our brother's keeper because we are our brother's keeper. How to determine the best course of action and, and how to approach these kinds of challenges as we deal with one another and, uh, as, as God's people. That's, that's been rattling around in my head as we go forward. Another thing that's rattling around in my head is this, this whole thing of, uh, if Burnett terminology, uh, Laodiceaville or uh, Laodiceaburg, however we want to say it. But, uh, to what degree or, or are we as, as God's people, as we look at the eras of the church, as we look at, at the characteristics of these churches on the mail route, to what degree are, are any of some of those negative characteristics impacting us? 
to what degree do they speak to maybe a mindset that any of us can, can be, uh, into which many of us can be falling? Am I falling into any of those Laodicea-type type mindsets uh, versus, versus this hungering and thirsting for, for God's righteousness? What's the state of the church? I've been thinking about that. What, if, if, if I am striving to have the mind of God and, and tr- striving to look at the church through the mind of God, what would, I, what would I say about the church? What would I say about the state of the church right now? What, what would I say about my own state as I <laughs> strive to have the, the mind of God to look at my own life? What, what, what's my state? Another thing that's rattling around in my mind is, is to recognize the spiritual warfare in which we're to be engaging in our individual lives. Am I recognizing the battle which I should be fighting now? Do I even, one, am I engaging in battle, but number two, do I even see the battle? Do I recognize what those battles are in my life? Am I, am I ignorant of Satan's devices, or is God helping me see those, his, his devices at work that, that can cause me to get off course? The, inner, the inner, inner battles, you know what I'm saying, the inner battles of our own human nature, and, and am I avoiding self-deception? And lastly, uh, as I think about all that, am I... Am I and are we as a church, are we casting down arguments and every, every high thing that exalts itself against God's knowledge, about the knowledge of God, are we able to see those and cast those things down uh, that uh, exalt themselves against the knowledge of God? And do we do that with the knowledge of God? Cast down every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and do so with the knowledge of God. Because that's how we're able to cast down those, those thoughts. So that's uh, what's rolling around in my head. <laughs> so Mr. Salyer's sermon last Sabbath, uh, in discussing the imperative of setting our minds or setting our affections on things above, covered one of many approaches to being able to do that. I'd like to to begin to talk about one of those approaches today. It's something that I've been thinking about for, for several weeks now. I've thought about off and on, but it's, it's kind of come to a head in, in my life uh, in terms of just really focusing upon this. It's one of the approaches that he mentioned which, which enables God's people, the called out ones, that's you and I, it, it enables us, uh, the ones whose eyes have been opened to, to understand the mystery or the, the hidden truth of the kingdom of God, uh, it enables us to set our minds on the things above. And as we live in the last days, the end time. And, and that's simply this. Uh, I think it was at point three or so that he covered. But to dwell upon the law of God. Are you and I dwelling upon the law of God? What's that have to do with the end time? I want us to think about that today as we introduce this subject. The Jews of Christ's day did not grasp 
the law of God. They did not grasp the, the understanding of the law, yet they said, we have the law. You know, they were the ones who were the preservers of the law down, down through the ages. They're the ones who saw themselves as being the experts in the law, and yet they did not have an understanding of the law. Christ uh, brought that out. As, as he worked with uh, the Pharisees, as he worked with others that, that saw themselves as having that. You know, think about this. This is a really long sentence, uh, similar to how uh, Paul wrote uh, sentences, uh, although uh, I'm not comparing myself with Paul. Please understand that. But, but think about this, this, this sentence. It, when, we, when we reflect upon the interactions that Jesus Christ had with the Jews of that day, these Pharisees, that had the law and knew the law and could quote and, and recite the law. Of course, they were shocked that he could, he, could, he could do the same. But think about this. The great I am, the great I am, through whom the Father created all things, this being, Jesus Christ, the one who inhabits eternity, the I am who gave the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments to Moses as Moses appeared before him in his presence, the one who taught the patriarchs his laws prior to Moses, the one, the word, who was God, the one who came in the flesh in part to reveal the Father. That individual used the law to teach his followers. He used the law to teach his followers and to demonstrate to the religious leaders of the day who professed to be experts in the law that they were the blind leading the blind and that they would continue in that state without the involvement of the one who is the way, the truth, and the life in their lives. End of sentence. See, I told you it was a very long sentence. But think, think about that. Think about the, the hugeness of, of that concept as we pull from all types of, uh, all passages of Scripture to come to that. This being understood and grasped the law, the law in its fullness, the law in its, in its letter, the law in its intent, and he came to, as we know, as Matthew 5 says, he came to fulfill, to fill up the law and, and, and to say that not one jot or tittle would pass from it until all is fulfilled. And yet they saw him as a lawbreaker. They did not grasp with understanding the law, the spiritual intent of the law. That's the Jews of that day. That is the Jews of today that have the law. The world of Christianity. What does the world of Christianity believe about the law? Well, the law has been nailed to the cross. The, law's, the law has been done away. Christ nailed the law to the cross uh, through his death. What do other world religions do? Well, they, they have their own set of codes. What about that there is no God people? They're driven by moral relativism. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's what you are experiencing in, your, in your, experiencing in your culture and what you've come to understand in, in your culture, and that has merit and value. And I'm, I'm going to honor and respect those beliefs because those are what you've come to, and that's your own reality, and that's fine. And we'll be here and, and here and here, and it's all, it's all good. We need to have understanding and, and peace. This this is the world in which we live. This is the, the world that which we see our country that was founded on many of the, 
the bedrock of laws, even though I, I would submit that, you know, our understanding as a country, you know, in terms of the, the spiritual intent of the law, it was limited, but it had some of those, and we see that eroding uh, away, even, even that aspect. The last of the original apostles, John, wrote in the, the 90s AD. Now, think, think, think about that. Here he is, Christ died some 60 years previously. The other apostles are all dead, and here he is now, uh, realizing he's the last of the apostles, and, and he's not going to be around much longer, even though he really wants Jesus Christ to return. He realizes his uh, mortality uh, and his life is, is coming uh, nearing an end. What, upon what did he emphasize? What did he emphasize in in, in the three epistles that he gave, uh, that he wrote prior to the book of Revelation, which he recorded from Jesus Christ. Upon what did he focus? Still, uh, still by way of introduction, I'll, I'll just reference these. Turn there if you like, but First uh, John 2, we talk about these a lot. First John 2, 2 through 4. Hereby we know that we know him. How do we know that we know Jesus Christ? We know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that, says, he, he that says he knows him and keeps not his commandments, eh, you know, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. Law, law, the, the, spirit, the law is spiritual. It's always been spiritual. We are to understand as, as God's people the law and the, the application of the law, the spiritual intent of the law. And if we say we know him, and, and we don't keep his commandments, we're liars. We're liars, and the truth's not in us. Sin, verse, chapter 3, verse 4, sin is lawlessness. Sin is the transgression of the law. That's how we know, by, by the law. This is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. This is God's love dwelling in us. This is the love of God that we keep his commandments, that we keep those things. And his commandments are not burdensome, as 1 John 5 tells us. Well, this individual wrote those things, and he also recorded these, these, these teachings of, of Christ in the book of Revelation. We referenced this a couple of weeks ago, but I'd like to go to Revelation now and just look at these very quickly. Look at this chain here. Here is the, 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 the last book of, of the Bible, the where he talks about all the events leading up to the return of Jesus Christ and then beyond. Uh, all set here, and yet, remember, this is that last apostle. This is th this last writing that we see in, in the canon that we have today. And, and in that, in, in the course of talking about all these things that are going on, law and commandments are, are interspersed throughout that. God's people will be keeping his commandments. God's people will, will love his law and the intent of his law and will live by that law. Revelation 1, verse 1, as we look here, we'll go through these quickly. Revelation 1, verse 1, this is John writing. He's writing uh, these things. And then next we have uh, the, as, as it breaks in, 
as, as we get into the passage, we begin seeing the words of Christ. Now, now granted, just not to confuse things, obviously all of God's word is inspired by God. It's God-breathed. But we'll, we'll see John writing, and, and we'll see then says, you know, this Christ says this now, and he's, and he's quoting Christ. It's all inspired by God. But, but with that said, let's look at what uh, John says initially. He says, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave, gave him, which God gave Christ to show his servants the things which must quickly or, or swiftly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel, by his messenger, to his servant John. So John is, is saying, I'm, I'm the one here who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, to all things that he saw. John did that. Everything that he saw, he, he wrote down, he, he wrote it down uh, as, as, as he was instructed to do so. Notice this statement in verse 3. Blessed is he who reads, who, who, who reads these things, and, and, th and those who, who hear the words of the prophecy, and, and the ones who keep those things which are written in it. For the time is near, reading, hearing, and keeping. Revelation 12, 17, uh, as it is covered in this, this passage of the time with the church fleeing uh, to a place where she's nourished for these three and a half years and the serpent coming back then to make war with the remnant of her offspring, those, those who are of, of the people of God that are not taken to this place or, or possibly even those who may uh, be coming along in the faith uh, during the time of the great tribulation. But he says here in Revelation 12 verse 17, we know these passages, but I, I think it's critical to look to see the degree of, of commandment keeping uh, tucked out even through this prophecy. And the dragon was enraged with the woman as a result. He couldn't get to her. He tried to destroy her, but uh, he spewed you know, water out of his mouth to destroy her, but the water, but after, but that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood, but the earth helped the woman. She was protected. So the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring those who were keeping the commandments of God and who have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Keeping the commandments of God, that is a marker, that's a marker of God's people. Just like the Sabbath is a sign, just like he, uh, uh, by your fruits you shall know them. Uh, the, the whole thing of as, as we have love uh, one for another, as we, as we help others, this, this you shall know that they're my disciples if they have love for one another. We've got all these markers in the Bible of God's people. God's people uh, are the ones who keep the commandments of God. Revelation 14, 12. We covered this a few weeks ago in the midst of the, the proclamation of the three angels. There's a statement there. Uh, verse 12. Revelation 14, here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. They're, they're keeping God's commandments. They, they have the, the faith and they're keeping the faith of Jesus. That, that same faith and belief that Jesus Christ had, I, I think we can ex expand that, what that faith of Jesus can mean. I, I see it as all-encompassing. The, the faith that he had, the, the faith of God that dwells in us, uh, that 
the faith of who he was and, and what he did, all of the roles, all of that encompasses this, this thing of the faith of Jesus and, and our, our commitment to God as a result of believing in him and believing in Jesus Christ and who he was. But they are keeping the commandments of God. Verse, uh, verse 14 of chapter 17, in the middle of, of talking about <clears throat> the great harlot and, and all that she's doing and then the, the, the beast power as, as they're able to bring these nations together at the very end to to have this uh, massive, powerful, deceptive force of which uh, Mr. Gutierrez talked about in the sermonette. Then nestled here in verse 14, these will make war with the lamb and the lamb will overcome them for he is Lord of Lords, King of Kings and, the cho and those who are with him are called, they're chosen and they're faithful. You've heard entire messages uh, in your history of, uh, of just, just covering that particular verse but those individuals are, are are faithful they have heard that they un, they understand the calling and they're they're following God they're keeping that way of life they're faithful in that two more passages Revelation 18 verse 4 Revelation 18 verse 4 in, in talking about our need as a people to come out of this system that's that is the the world of Babylon the, the mystery of, of Babylon the Great. He says in verse 4, I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins. Sin is the transgression of the law. Sin is lawlessness. That if you share in that, that sinful way of life, that, that package of sin, come out of that, lest you receive of her, pay, of her plagues. For her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. And then lastly, Revelation 22, as we see the new heavens and new earth, and then these, these little comments of encouragement, a little bit of warning, and a little bit of, you, you know, you can do it. This, this is critical for us now. This was what, what John was uh, conveying uh, as, as Christ was, well, John, Christ was conveying this, and John recorded it. Here in verse 14, blessed are those... Blessed are those who do his commandments. The law has been nailed to the cross. <laughs> it's, it's, it's an amazing thing, uh, and, and we're very thankful that God has opened our minds to this truth. Here he is at the very end. Why, why would John record this if the law was done away? Why would John record this if, 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 if it was nailed to the cross? God has opened our minds to see the wonderful truth of, of this of this way of life and, and his commandments and the spiritual intent of those, of that, of that impact on what it is to be a Christian. Of all the things that he could say, why would he say this at the end unless this was critical, crucial to, to uh, this way of life? Blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right or the, the Greek there can also mean the, the, the privilege or the, the authority to, uh, to, to take, take, grab hold of or, or to, to be a part of the tree of life, the privilege to the tree of life, to enter into that, to enter into to eternity and may enter through the gates into the city. Outside, verse 15, talks about all of the, the kinds of behaviors and way of, way of life and iniquity that is outside of that. So 
So think, think about that. So here, here, here as, uh, to reiterate again, we've got some of the last, the, some of the most recent writings that we have recorded in the Bible are, time-wise, are 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and Revelation. And, and yet in that, he, he fills the, these passages, this, this, these texts, with understanding love through keeping God's commands. And through keeping God's commands, we understand the love of God. So foundational, and yet God has chosen to open our minds to that, and the world can understand it. That there is no God people, the other religions of the world, Christianity today. Name, name the group, and God, God has, has blessed us with this. This isn't anything that we don't know, but here's, here's, here's the point that, that I'm, I'm trying to get to today. Our ability to understand what is going on and to keep perspective in uh, the end time is going to be based in part on our being grounded in God's commands, our, our being grounded in the law of God. Is, is that indicative of our lives? How many of you uh, saw this week's uh, note in, uh, I think it was one of the Life, Hope, and Truth blogs by Isaac Khalil? It's titled, The Pope's Solution to Climate Change. Is it God's Solution? How many have seen that? A handful, handful. I want to, want to read some, some uh, aspects uh, of this. And again, this is not uh, an article that's, that's trying to address climate change. Uh, in terms of, well, is, is it happening and, and is it happening and can it be solved? Well, he's not, that's not his, his situation. But I want us to think about this from the standpoint of law, God's word, our understanding of law and commandments and lawlessness, okay? In October 2020, he, meaning the Pope, gathered religious leaders to sign his climate change his climate change action plan calling on all nations to adopt net zero carbon emissions as soon as possible not only were leaders from christian denominations present but also representatives of islam judaism hinduism sikhism buddhism confucianism taoism zoroastrianism and jainism his letter blames climate change on our consumer-driven world and says that if we don't take urgent action now, we'll be looking at the extinction of the human race. Significant parts of his letter include, paragraph 13, he calls on the whole human family together to hear the, the call of young people, and he stresses the need to protect our common home. Paragraph 38, he praises agencies and organizations for employing legitimate means of pressure to ensure that each government carries out its proper and inalienable responsibility to preserve its country's environment and natural resources. Paragraph 71, he draws on biblical Sabbath laws such as the weekly Sabbath the sabbatical year of rest for the land, you know, every, every seven years, the seventh year, and the jubilee year, that, that 50th year, of release for all those who had been enslaved. Paragraph 92, he says we are all united as brothers and sisters on a wonderful pilgrimage with our, quote, brother's son, S-U-N, 
Sister Moon, Brother River, and Mother Earth. Toward the end of his letter, he incorporates the Catholic worship system into his environmental message. Paragraph 236. The Eucharist represents God's cosmic love and creation is projected towards divination, towards the holy wedding feast, towards unification with the Creator Himself. Paragraph 237. Sunday, like the Jewish Sabbath, points us to rest and motivates us to greater concern for nature and the poor. That's interesting uh, tying in what Mr. Gutierrez discussed, isn't it? Paragraph 238. As we contemplate the universe, we, we quote, must praise the whole trinity. Paragraph 239. Christians believe in one God who is Trinitarian, and the trinity has left its mark on all creation. Paragraph 241. Mary has a, quote, maternal affection and pain for this wounded world and is the mother and queen of all creation. I find that very interesting. I find that very interesting, uh, as I'm, I'm sure you do as well. We see little bits of, of truth here and there, concern for, for the world and, and the climate of the world. And, and as, as we know, as, as God set it up uh, originally in the Garden of Eden, man, mankind was designed and God set it up so that man would care for uh, his environment. But notice, notice the, the elements of, of untruth, the elements of, of things that are completely contrary to God, things that are in the realm of idolatry. Mary maternal affection and pain for this wounded world and, and Mary is the mother and queen of all creation. These are the, the kinds of things that this present Pope is saying. We know that a, a final resurrection of the, the Holy Roman Empire, not just the Roman Empire, but the Holy Roman Empire, the, the little horn, the, that the false prophet uh, that ultimately will emerge in the final, the final restoration of that. We know that, that this this individual will speak great blasphemies. We know that 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 little horn, uh, the, the, what's given power to the Roman Empire, that church down through the ages, is filled with is filled with these these kinds of, of blasphemies. Uh, he goes on to say, "This is this is uh, Isaac's assessment," and he makes uh, he speculates a little bit. I, I think we we understand this is speculation, uh, as you'll see some of this down down the stretch. The Pope's letter uh, merges Catholic worship and climate change. The Pope's climate change agenda incorporates the adoration for the Trinity. Mary is the mother and queen of all creation. The Son, S-U-N, as our brother and Earth as our mother. Participation in the Eucharist and Sunday rest as a means to save the environment. The only repentance and conversion the letter calls for is, quote, of the ways we have harmed the planet and for mankind to undergo an eco ecological conversion. As a result of the Pope's effort, we can expect even greater cries, and this is where he begins to, he speculates a little bit, and, and I, I think it's a, for what it's worth, I think that it's, it's interesting to speculate this. We wonder how this will play out, but we begin to see some of the different ways that, that <clears throat> this false religion will be able to pull things and could conceivably go down this route. Anyway, he says, uh, 
As a result of the Pope's efforts, we can expect even greater cries for a weekly day of rest to heal our planet. And not just from mainline Christian denomination, but from those who profess other non-Christian religions. The idea is that a global Sunday rest would lower emissions and help heal the planet. You know, you think, okay, if we, if we said we declared one day out of seven as a complete global rest, one-seventh, that's going to make a huge impact on, on all of these things. What, what, he's, what he's saying that is, is one of the angles that, that may, may end up coalescing. Could this proposed solution be a way that Sunday observance will be enforced on people in the future? The Bible tells us that the end-time beast power will enforce a mark that will be tied to the economic activity, as Revelation 13 tells us. There are, there are reasons to believe this mark could be an effort to force people to rest on Sunday. This, has, uh, this is not the, the only global political issue that the current pope has tried to solve. He's also proposed solutions for the global economy, tried to bring more unity to a divided Christendom, and, and called for more European union, uh, unity. So we don't, we don't know how that, that's going to play out. We don't know how that's going to coalesce, coalesce, but it's fascinating, isn't it, to think about these kinds of things. And, and the fascinating element, I think, comes back to the subject that we're beginning to discuss today, and we'll get in more detail. Let's look at it in Daniel 7. Daniel 7, we'll cover two passages right now that, that speak to this subject and the influence of, of this religious power uh, on the Roman Empire, the final, the, the fourth beast that's more terrible than all the rest. Uh, Daniel 7, just breaking into the thought here, Daniel 7, verse 25, Daniel 7, verse 25, in speaking of this, of this religious force that gives its power or gives power to the, the empire, uh, Verse 25, he shall speak pompous words against the Most High. He shall persecute the saints of the Most High. Uh, interestingly, the Aramaic there uh, says uh, he shall wear out or, or wear, wear down the saints of the Most High. And that, that's a thought that I want to discuss here in just a little bit. But he shall, he shall uh, persecute the saints of the Most High and shall intend to change times and law. And the saints will be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. As, as we look at that, we, we consider that this is likely also talking about this three and a half year persecution as, as the beast power comes down and it sets, it sets up uh, its, its governmental uh, headquarters at Jerusalem with the, the false prophet intending to change times and laws. You think about what the Pope <laughs> mentioned in that and the, the syncretism, the blending of all of these things. We think about the, the religious forms of worship, some of the highest religious forms of, of, of worship that Christendom has with respect to Christmas and Easter and those things. It's, it's nothing new, <laughs> but it, it's there and it's pervasive and... Uh, it, it will be uh, miraculous in many respects how 
the, the instruction that this, this person can give, as Mr. Gutierrez talked, with the miracles that this person is going to be able to perform, and, and with a lack of understanding of the laws of God, the people will not be able to grasp it. They will not be able to, to put it all together to see that clearly. So, you know, the question that follows is, is what, what about us? What will keep us being able to see those kinds of things? It's, it's an understanding of the knowledge of the laws of God uh, because the, the laws of God outline all of these things. They help us see right from wrong. They see, help us see what sin is and what, and what living righteously is as we love that law and, and follow that law. We'll get to that in, in a bit. Let's look at the other passage. Some of you are ahead of me uh, on this, but let's go to 2 Thessalonians 2, which speaks very clearly to this, this understanding of, of law and lawlessness. This, this individual that comes at the end, this, the son of perdition, uh, the, this false prophet, as, is, as he's called in, uh, in some places, little horn uh, in, in other places, uh, as this, this power that he gives to the beast. Breaking in here at verse 7, for the mystery of lawlessness, Paul said it in his day the mystery of lawlessness was, a, was in effect. The, the hidden truth of, of lawlessness, of what's really going on there. It's, it was at work then. Verse 8, and then the lawless one uh, will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the, the brightness of his coming. Mr. Gutierrez talked about that. This individual, with all that he's able to do and the power that he has, the power to help people, the power to do this here and there, but it's all a mix. And, and uh, as, as he said in the sermonette, Folks will become, as Revelation 18 says, they'll become wealthy. There will be folks that will really be blessed through this and, and see this as something great and powerful. And there, there will be some who know what's going on and are, and are completely caught up in it. There will be some that are completely duped by all of this. But, but it will be there. And this, this mystery of lawlessness uh, is, is at work then and it will be work, at work in the future. But there will come a time when the lawless one will be revealed. Now, God's people, God's people, if they, are, if they are completely immersed in the beauty of the law of God and the, the understanding of the, of the breadth of the law of God, the, the lawless nature of things are, are revealed to those, those individuals as they see them happening. I mean, sometimes we get, we get tricked here or there, but, but as we're in that realm with God and, and thinking on that level and seeing that and loving, loving God's law with all our might, there, there's clarity to see those things. We, we've been given clarity now. We, we have that, we, and we, we see that. We can also deceive ourselves, but, but the world will be deceived by this because of... of uh, their, their lack of ability to, to understand the law of God. We, we understand that God won't have opened their minds yet, but, but that's the case. Here we go. So he says, the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his coming. 
He'll do that. Ultimately, this being that's done all these things and he's, he's done all these miracles and he's helped bring the world together. Yeah, there have been troubles, and tri- but we're bringing, the, we're bringing the world together. And yeah, the, the armies of the north and east, they're doing these things, but we're, we're going we're gonna to rally around. We're going to be able to do this. And then boom, as, as Mr. Gutierrez said, here, here comes Christ and, and Christ destroys them and, and then gets them and throws them in the lake of fire, the beast and the false prophet. Uh, and, and the lawless one will be revealed at that time to the world to, to understand what really has been going on. It's done with all power, with all signs, and with lying wonders, and with unrighteous deception among those who are perishing, as the Greek brings out, uh, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. So we ask ourselves, are, are we, in the end time, are we receiving the love of the truth? Is it, do, do I possess, do I grab onto the truth, do I, do I not only know it, but do I love it? Do I, am I passionate for my love for God's way of life? And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie that they may all be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So, so we, turn, we turn the eye on ourselves. We turn the eye of, of God's eyes uh, on ourselves to ask us, uh, to help us see as we read God's law and consider God's law, is there any unrighteousness in me? Is, what, what is in me that is not of God? And, and do I take pleasure in that? Am I fighting the battle to kick that out with God's help uh, and to, to live in righteousness, the, the righteousness that, that comes from God allowing Jesus Christ to, to cover my sins and, and justify me and then live in righteousness going forward? Or, or am, I, am I, in a sense, not believing the truth in, in terms of saying, yeah, I, I know the truth, I, I know God, but, but I don't keep his law. I'm a liar. I'm a liar and the truth's not in me. I, I, know, I know God, I know his way, but, uh, but I, I take a little pleasure in unrighteousness. Yeah, I know, I know I got it, but, uh, I've, I, but I've got this knowledge. God, you've given me all this knowledge, and I can see these things that are happening in the world. I see them all, I get it. Uh, those who are not will, will receive strong delusion uh, that, that are not loving the truth and loving that truth by demonstrating that in our own lives. God's people love the truth, and it is a wonderful example that you brethren set. And I just, it's an honor to be here with you to see and to, to experience uh, my life with yours to, to see you doing that and seeing you battle that. We know that's, that's our fight. We've, we've got to continue to fight that. Verse 13, but we're bound to give thanks, Paul says, to God always for you. And I, I hope we give thanks for one another. I certainly appreciate every one of you. Brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you. He chose you and me for, for salvation. And he did it through, through the sanctification by the spirit and the belief in the truth to which he called us by, by th- that gospel, uh, for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, he tells them then, and 
tells us now, stand fast, hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle. And as we know, this, this, this epistle here is one of the, the many epistles that our God breathed, that, that God uh, put himself in that. He, he caused that to be written for us today, the words of God. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our, and our God and Father who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace, may he comfort our hearts and establish us in every good word and work. When I look at verse 17, may he comfort our hearts and establish you, us, in every good word and work. That's when I, I think back to Philippians 4, and I think that's, that's, that's that peace of God that's, that's ruling in our hearts that, that only God can give. Matthew 24, we talked a little bit earlier about uh, some of the things rattling around in my head, and one of those is, is the stresses, the challenges that God's people are facing. You have your challenges. Uh, I have my challenges. We have our challenges with one another as we, as we work together, as we bear with one another in love. And, and yet this, this passage stands there that I, I constantly find myself considering, where, where am I on this? Where am I on this scale? Am I, am I hot for God's way of life? Am I hot in my, in my love for, for God's people? And am, I, am, am I burning in, in my love for, in, in a good way, burning in my love for all of mankind and what you know, I, I, I look forward to see, see God doing with all of, all of mankind. Verse 10, we know it. Uh, many will be offended in the end time. Many will betray one another. And many will, will come to hate one another. And because many false prophets will rise up and deceive many, because this, this kind of thing will increase, and, and it is increasing, it, it creates a a numbness for us. I, I, I find that I've, I've got to continue battling against a, a, a callousness or, or a numbness that I feel as I, as I see these things going on in the world. Uh, and because lawlessness, there it is, lawlessness, all the things that we see going on around us, the things that are going to intensify in, in the false religions of the world, and, and lawlessness that can sneak into to our, our lives if we let it. But because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. We could go into all the details of the words there and the meanings, but the, the basic situation is, is that you know, it leads to something that could end up not happening, as we see in verse 13. It could lead to our not enduring to the end, because the one who endures to the end will be saved. And we must not allow, because we see lawlessness abound, we must not allow that to, to cause us, uh, our love to grow cold and our love towards one another to grow cold. Lawlessness is out there and it is abounding. Do we, do we, we don't know that lawlessness is abounding if we're not completely focused in the law of God to be able to discern between lawlessness and, and lawfulness. Because lawlessness 
abounds, the love of many will wax cold. You know, I think of tying that to what we read in Daniel 7, the, the wearing down or the wearing out of the saints. Are, are we going to allow ourselves to be worn down? This week I was uh, driving down the road, as I told you, I, I listened to all kinds of different radio stations, but this time I had an NPR station on. They had a, a, a journalist who was who's in Somalia right now and is dealing with uh, reporting on the the severe famine in that country. And you know, you know, I'm listening to it, and this this person has gone into the was in the hospital, and you know, you got the background noise of these little kids crying, and it's just severe famine, starvation for so many people. And the person was talking about how famine is, how it's impacting these little kids. And, and as, as uh, she, was, she was reporting, she said, right now I'm in, in the hospital ward and there's a, a two-year-old here. And the, the two-year-old's skin is a completely, it's morphed. It's a, a different kind of skin uh, that, that that's resulted because of severe malnutrition, because of just simply not having food. Uh, and, they're, and they're trying to care for that baby, but it's thousands, it's thousands of people in that. You know, and we hear that, we hear this, we hear this, and we can just become numb to it. Uh, you know, referencing back again to, to Mr. Gutierrez's sermon, We've got to, we've got to continue to, to sigh and cry for, for what we see going on and, and yearn for the time when God's law and God's way of life will go out to all of mankind and how much we want to see that time when God can bless all of humanity that begins to turn to him. The lawlessness, the lawless one. In contrast, are you and I the lawful ones? Are we the lawful ones? This is the love of God that we keep his commandments. Is our love waxing stronger? I think these are fair questions for all of us to ask. It's a fair question for me to ask myself. Is my love waxing stronger as we see these things going on around? Or do I just see myself stepping back? You know, I, I just don't want to deal with it. I don't want to think about it. Knowing God's law, applying God's law, keeping God's law with understanding, coming to love God's law, these, these represent essential components that are going to help you and me with discernment and decision-making as we go forward. We, we've got to be in that mode if we're going to be able to discern what's going on around us and, and to make the appropriate decisions to where God says, these are the called, the chosen, and the faithful. They made, they made the right decisions. God's law, uh, his, the Pentateuch, the Torah, the, the first five books of the Bible, the commandments, the tablets of the testimony, the, the judgments, the statutes. Uh, Mr. Uh, Dr. Levy gave a fantastic message uh, a while back about all of those and the application uh, for today. So for part two, I've got an assignment for you. Uh, if you are willing to take on uh, this assignment, Mission Impossible here. Uh, Exodus, uh, if you could read these. I know some of you are on different uh, Bible study programs, and I don't want to uh, derail that for those who are. But, it, but if, if you can, before December, December 10th, take a look at these passages. Exodus 20 through 31. And you can email me later if you would like to get these. Uh, Leviticus 17 through 27, Numbers 5 through 10, Numbers 15, Numbers 18 through 19, 
Numbers 27 through 32. Numbers 35 through 36. I'll say it again. Numbers 5 through 10, 15, 18 through 19, 27 through 32, 35 and 36. And I'll make it easy for you with Deuteronomy. Just if you would, just read all of it. (laughs) An interesting statement as we begin to wrap this up today. An interesting statement is tucked within the Ten Commandments that sometimes slips by us. It slips by me from time to time. I saw it this week and it jumped out at me. Deuteronomy 5, the same, of course, is covered in Exodus 20, the, the same wording in this particular part. But it's, it's found within the second commandment. You know, I think of those that, the laws, that believe that the law has been nailed to the cross. And again, I, I, don't, I don't condemn them because they haven't, they haven't been, their minds haven't been open to the truth yet. But I find this, this a beautiful statement here in the middle of the Ten Commandments. It is one of the Ten Commandments. And it speaks about this, the spiritual nature of, of this relationship that we're to have with God, that God's people understand and recognize, and it gives them guidance and direction. Deuteronomy 5, verse 8. Deuteronomy 5, verse 8, uh, found here uh, as we look at the second commandment, you shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness uh, of anything that is in heaven above or that it's in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them, for I, the eternal your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. But here's that statement, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. That's right out of John. John, John is, is citing what's... What's, what is right out of the heart of the Ten Commandments, love towards God, love towards one another, uh, to those who love me and keep my commandments. They, they go hand in hand. If we love God, we're keeping his commandments. If we're keeping his commandments and doing so in, in honor and worship of God and in honoring others uh, as, uh, and loving others as we do ourselves and, and esteeming others highly, we, we, are, we are loving them as well as loving God. So next, next time, what we'll do is we'll jump into uh, some of these passages that I, I referenced. And I want us to, as we read them in the, in the coming weeks, I, I would ask if you would... To, to do what, what Dr. Levy had stated a while back, to, to read these passages and think about them in terms of the spiritual understanding of the law, the, the law written upon our flesh, fleshly hearts and, and opened up to us to understand the, the filling up of God's law and read these passages as he's giving these to Israel as they govern a nation, laws, statutes, judgments, ordinances. We'll read about those in, in, in the latter part of Deuteronomy 5 uh, next time. But read about those and think about the application for them uh, in our lives today. Uh, and, and you may have some questions, too. How does this apply? How would this apply? What's the spiritual intent of this as I, uh, as I strive to apply this now? And I, th- I think it'll create good, good discussion. But regardless, what it's doing is it's helping us continue to remain grounded in the laws of God. And, and by extension, to be grounded in his entire word. As you read these passages, think of some of the New Testament applications that we see tying to uh, these, these 
grounded foundational statements that God gives to, to Moses in, in the commandments, the, the testimony, the, the law, the judgments, the statutes, all of that. Begin to think about that, and we'll discuss some of those next time.